You're listening to the latest dose of Bipolar Recorder. This podcast may cause dizziness and blurred vision. Enjoy. Welcome back to Bipolar Recorder. This is Hunter Keegan. I've got some more intense mental health conversations for you today. This installment features another recorded hashtag mental health chill zone Twitter space. We had multiple returning guests and newcomers, and it sparked a very interesting conversation. In case you're not already up to speed, Twitter spaces are public audio chat rooms where users discuss different topics. Of course, our topic is mental health. Be advised that this episode contains a lot of talk about trauma, suicide, child abuse, sexual abuse, involuntary hospitalization, and domestic violence. Obviously, this conversation gets pretty hardcore but we discuss these complicated and sensitive topics and create a constructive dialogue around them that is supportive and safe. A quick side note, sometimes people on Twitter spaces just call me Bipolar for short. That's because my username on there is Bipolar Recorder. Not everyone on Twitter spaces knows me on a first-name basis as Hunter, so when you hear people say stuff like, hey, Bipolar, what do you think? They're referring to me, not an existential crisis. We also call people by their Twitter handles if we don't know their first names, so for example, you may hear someone refer to Barbecue Dad or Lil Wolf. Those are not their actual names. As the recording begins, several regulars join the room and the conversation starts somewhat casually before we move into some serious discussion about the stigma and prejudice faced by mentally ill people, the failures of the healthcare system in the United States, and much more. My name is Hunter, a.k.a. Bipolar Recorder. We'll see if we get anyone showing up tonight and hopefully have some good conversations. Welcome to the room, Victoria. Hope you're doing well. Feel free to request a mic if you'd like to. Uh, We've got Paul Paranoid as well. Hello, Paul. Paul has already requested a mic, and we've got Barbecue Dad, a.k.a. Lance, in the room. Oh my goodness. So many of my favorite people. Hey. How is everybody? Hey. What's up, man? Yes, good. It's good. Glad to see you. Yeah, dude. Well, I, um, I have had, like, mental health out the ears today because I was just editing and um, doing post-production on the recording from last night. Yeah. Uh, And it took me like six hours to work on. 
Yeah, so I think that's going to be how I'm doing it moving forward. The reason for that is because I spend a ton of time hosting these Twitter spaces, and it's kind of occurred to me over the last couple of weeks, you know, doing the podcast interviews are awesome, but it's harder for me to do that consistently and sustainably. So for that reason, I thought, you know, maybe recording some of the mental health chill zones, showing people what they're about and sharing our conversations could be a good idea. I think I thought last night was you just you really chose a good night to record it. I just thought so much. There was so much there for people to hear last night. I'm really glad you recorded it last night. It was a really good session. And I mean, it was sometimes difficult and sometimes a little scary in one or two places, but that was the beauty of it is that, you know, it was full of, I don't know what the word is, it was full of, uh, I don't want to say solutions because that's really fucked up. It was full (laughs) of uh, proactivism. It was it was definitely full of a lot of insight and compassion, and I think that'll speak to a lot of people. I think that we had a really wide range of subject matter that we covered. But anyhow, that was then. This is now. So to check in for myself, I'm doing pretty well today. Um, I have nothing going on at my day job. So as I was saying a little while ago, I've just been editing podcast episodes, basically. Um. I just had to take care of some stuff, um, but the rest of my evening is open, and I'm probably going to be spending it hanging out on Twitter and just having some good conversations. That's what it's about, my rock and roll Jesus. That's who I am in the house. (laughs) Uh, Rock and roll. I like rock and roll outlaw better than rock and roll Jesus, but whatever you prefer, it's fine. The only reason I say that is because I love the Kid Rock song, uh, Rock and Roll Jesus. <laughs> Kid Rock is really something else, man. He's uh, He's got some issues, but he does have a couple of guilty pleasure songs for me. I'm not going to say what they are, though. Something else. Let's just say that. Yeah. Something else. Here, Lance asks me about a series of tweets that I had posted a few minutes before the space had opened. In the series of tweets, I express my dissatisfaction with the current system of mental health care treatment in the United States. Let's take a listen and go from there. Anyway, I saw your rant about... uh let's take over and, and topsy turvy and change the whole mental health model. Yeah, man. Um, I, that rant came from a place of being somewhat serious. Let me see if I can read what I wrote for the rest of the room who may not have seen it. So I posted this about a half hour ago and this is what it says. It is a rant. So bear with me. It reads as follows. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that 95% of what modern medicine thinks about mental health is flat out wrong. You can't quantify an emotion or feeling. How many milligrams of lithium are in an hour of stability? I don't know. Probably none. Yet doctors throw heavy-duty mood stabilizers, antidepressants, and antipsychotics at us, even though they poorly understand how those drugs actually work. And the reality is that most of those medications don't work. 
One person's Prozac is another person's poison. The side effects are unpredictable. Yet any mention of alternative, cheaper, safer, and potentially far more effective interventions such as THC, psilocybin, MDMA, ketamine, etc. send most doctors running for the hills because they're so concerned about liability and sticking to their ways. Well, who's going to be liable next time I land in a psych ward after being denied access to emergency traditional treatment? What if I kill myself? Will my doctors be held responsible because they used incorrect interventions? End of rant. Fuck the system. Fuck what they think they know about us. Mentally ill people are treated as subhuman and change needs to happen now. What do you all think? Damn straight. Hallelujah. That was fucking amazing. Yeah. Hallelujah. Barbecue. 2024 running for U.S. Senate of Alaska. <laughs> I think last time I was on here, we were all getting ready for our government positions. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I remember that. That was funny. <laughs> we were uh, workshopping some uh, new campaign speeches to get people on our side. I think Victoria had the best speech. Mine was a little bit too militaristic, I think. It's a place for everything, man. I always black out when I talk, so it's a good thing you record these because I have no idea what I said. But I'm glad you I didn't it. record that one. <laughs> I didn't record that one, so I don't know what was said exactly. But um... Was that the one where I was all hyped up about, like, I, when I was just, you know. Sometimes I'm a little bit more mellow, and then sometimes I'm, like, really on one. It was probably one of those amped up uh, rants. <laughs> We had a. You were just very engaged. We had a good talk about narcissism. I think Victoria. I think we did a bit on that. Um, I wanted to. Hey, sorry guys. I wanted to go to uh, Frankly Bipolar for a second because uh, he requested a mic, and I think we keep cutting him off by accident. <laughs> Frankly Bipolar, what is going on? Not, not much. So you've got an head over there. Dude, I've got a total agenda. We're dismantling the Western model of medicine and burning it to the ground. It is. I mean, they. it seems to be, from what I've gathered from people that I've talked to, that if you don't have the resources, it's difficult to get treatment. It Even with resources, it's hard to get treatment. I mean... It's, it's just what I've noticed, but I don't, I don't want to get on my soapbox. I was coming here to relax. Yeah, I'll say this. Uh, I was having a conversation with my therapist a couple of days ago, and I was asking her about some questions that I had. So I have a bachelor's degree in psychology. I went to Penn State, which is a pretty legit school, and mm-hmm. I know a thing or two about psychology, okay? Mm-hmm. But I'm not like a full-fledged expert, and that's part of why I like talking to my therapist because she has a PsyD, which is a doctorate um, in psychology. It's like a specialized type of PhD. And she has really good insight about like actual research and stuff far beyond my understanding. So I was kind of asking her, you know, what counts as trauma? Because as I've been coming to learn working with this therapist, I actually have had some pretty fucking traumatic events that I had, you know, kind of buried away. 
that I had chosen not to think about. I'm not going to get too into it because it's going to start triggering me. But I was asking her, you know, what is the definition of trauma? How would I know that I have experienced trauma without someone else pointing it out to me? And her response was basically that it's incredibly nebulous. And there is a lot of disagreement right now within the psychology community about a lot of what we think we know. Like a lot of what's in the DSM Mm -hmm. is very controversial, is not necessarily agreed upon by all doctors, you know? Yeah. Oh, and I love that you brought this up because so many people think that trauma is the traumatic event. But but trauma, to me at least, is the patterns you continue to carry throughout your life because of the event. Um, At least that's how I see it. And I, you know, I think that's why there's all the, like, toxic positivity and, like, getting over things. And it's like... In a lot of ways, like I have done inner work and inner child work and I've forgiven people and I recognize things, but what I'm failing to do is break the patterns. There's these traumatic patterns that I have these blind sights to that I can't see them, but it's like, you know, when you get with a professional and you start speaking with friends, it's like you start to witness these patterns. And to me, that's what the trauma is the trauma is like the lifetime of patterns it's not the event so thank you for bringing that up that's really cool there's there's a conversation to be had and i'm not sure i'm qualified to sort of try and flesh this out but like there's a distinction to be made between an initial traumatic event or in uh, the case of abuse a long build-up of traumatic kind of uh Kind of, uh, kind of, a, kind of a bathing of a person in trauma for a long time, um, and you've got like the post-traumatic thing at the moment, like post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic uh, disorders, sort of viewed as being a very specifically to, you know, things like the CPTSD we all hear about or PTSD. But I think what you're talking about, Victoria, and I, I'm with you. I think I think you've pointed some now is you've got what made you damaged and then you've got the fallout from that which is a kind of a a coping strategy you erect to cope with what happened and what happens is that the superstructure of that coping strategy becomes even more damaging or at least as damaging as the thing that initiated the break the the, the the thing that deviated you from a healthy path um and i that's what i'm hearing and what you're saying if i may i mean it's not my place to tell you your your ideas but that's my response that's what i'm getting from what you're saying it's like we've got the the, the event or series of events of a period of trauma and then you've got what the person does to live with it which can be completely perverse you know it can be like completely manic. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and I'm witnessing that being a mother. So I went through a lot of childhood um, abuse. um, And so now I'm a mom. I have an autistic child. And, like, when she screams or yells, um, you know, like, I have to make sure that I am not the monster 
um, that my abusers were. And it's like, I'll see this like insight. It's like, okay. It's like, she has to be quiet. She has to be quiet right away. How do I stop this? Because when I was young, I learned that crying was unsafe. And so when she cries, I don't hear her need. I'm like, oh my God. Gosh, the situation is unsafe. I need to make her be quiet as quick as possible. But that's my trauma. That's my yeah. coping mechanism from when I was a young child. And it is, I started reading this book called um, Mother Hunger about different wounds that you can get from different attachment styles with your mother. And it has... I mean, it's like I have to have a fidget spinner and I have to be like alone and in a really good place to listen to the book because it's so triggering to me. Yeah. What do you think, Hunter? I think that what Victoria said about the patterns that result from trauma being like equally as important, if not more important than the trauma itself is super interesting. And I hadn't thought of that before. Um, I think that's a fascinating way to look at it because that's what I feel too, because like, I feel like in some of those moments, like at the time it was so intense that it like almost didn't register. And then it was my reaction, my, my coping strategies that I began developing as like a kid or as a teenager, um, negative coping things that came out of that things like abusing drugs and alcohol, you know, those were outcomes that occurred from my trauma and those outcomes were like honestly more physically damaging than the trauma itself, you know? So I, I think that looking at patterns, looking at the fallout and then tracing back from there could be a very good way at identifying trauma, yeah, a good sure. way for identifying trauma. Yeah. Like looking I don't know. That's a good point. Like looking back at past past patterns and seeing what what actually caused that, because, you know, one thing just as an aside that I find interesting is that I've read studies that show that maybe 50 percent of the memories that we recall are actually not the actual memories in the way that they actually existed. So our memories actually distort the situation that we're recalling. So we may think to ourselves, you know, oh my God, in that social situation, I really insulted that guy or whatever. I said that stupid comment. Everyone thought I was an idiot. In reality, it, it probably wasn't that bad. Plus, we're all ve very egocentric. We think to ourselves, everyone cares about us, especially on Twitter and everything. Everyone's looking out for us and cares, but they do. And you have to handle yourself responsibly and you have to be proud of yourself, but you're not you're important, but you're not the most important thing to other people because everyone cares about themselves ultimately the most, which is just survival of the fittest. And I think that if you can get that in the back of your head, that people just, you know, they care about you, but they don't care too much. You don't have to worry that much, at least for me personally, that's what I'm trying to do. And I, you know, think, when I talk to people, particularly professionals, it helps tremendously. You know, I don't know what I don't know about your guys' experience, but that that's what I think. You know, Victoria. And I think it's like self preservation, like maybe over, and I, you know, maybe that's just semantics or whatever. But it's like everybody, and, and you know, it's 
it, it kind of like a societal thing too is like every man for himself so everybody's you know trying to preserve themselves based on the coping mechanisms that they've developed over time um bipolar i just want to say like you triggered something in my gut it was so weird it was like my heart fell in my stomach and then i almost started to cry a little bit when you said that your coping mechanisms had become more detrimental than the trauma because of what I went through, the intense addictions that I had, the like risky sexual behavior, the self-harm, like all of those things, like that was so much worse. That was like decades of pain I put myself through. Um, and it was almost like I got to the point where I was like, you know, drugs aren't my problem. They're my solution. So I made sure I had every problem in the world and almost started like romanticizing like my trauma of like this, you know, poetic like drug use and the, this horrible life that I had and stuff like that. And, um, you know, that might be a little bit of a societal thing, too. But talk about like a smack in the face was like, yes, the the damage that I did to myself may have arguably been worse than what was done to me. And that is a hard pill to swallow. I identify with that so much. Um, what you said about romanticizing the trauma, which is such a strange thing to say, like, it sounds so strange to say that. But like, when I was like 18, like, you know who my heroes were? It was like Lane Staley from Alice in Chains, Kurt Cobain, like all of these dudes who got super fucked up on drugs and depression and mental, like all sorts of mental health shit. And I thought that was cool. And I was like, well, you know, man, like I may be on the downward spiral, but like fucking Cobain, man. And it's like, no, dude, it's it's just like, no. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, but you know, those were the sort of people who I identified with. And then I started looking back on the negative things that had happened in my life. And I was like, oh, it's, this is something unique. And for that reason, it sets me apart or whatever. I don't know. I'm not doing the best job of articulating it, but that, yeah. Nah, you got it. That was dead on. Paul, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I was like that guy too. Uh, so I do think, to be fair, I, don't, I know you weren't for a moment suggesting uh, a negative. I don't think you were suggesting anything this negative, Hunter, but people like Kurt Cobain and Lane Staley and their contemporaries, they did this kind of, they, 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 it was, it was, they did represent a very specific kind of uh, generational problem. Like they, although it's unfortunate that they were so self-destructive, there was a truth to it. So even though you know we don't want to celebrate, we don't want people taking that route of uh, you know tragic, isn't it? That people like would see class A drug abuse as a legitimate way of coping with unbearable pain. It's understandable, but it shouldn't be. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It shouldn't but, be celebrated. Don't you think if mental health was treated in a more, in a, in a broader sense, that maybe those drugs wouldn't be needed quite as much? And in my opinion, they yeah. would. People are using that for self-treatment. That's that's the way I see it in a lot of cases. 
Yeah, I agree. I, you know, when I when I go on the corner and I see you know Kevin or it doesn't matter names, but I see homeless people and I talk to them and I ask them, you know, what's your story? A lot of them think that the government's following them and that you know it's clearly a mental health issue. It's not a you know he's probably using the drugs that he talks about to mask the issue at actual hand. And if the treatment was there in a broader way, I think we could treat this, but the resources aren't there. And we're not going to solve this on this call or anything, but it just bothers me. I see suffering. Right. No, I I agree with you. And I think that um, definitely when it comes to like homelessness and stuff like that, like those are people who are in such a vulnerable situation. And I wonder what would, what would effective treatment look like for an individual who let's just say a 45 year old man who's, who has malnutrition and is living with schizophrenia in like a fucked up neighborhood in Chicago or something. Like, how do you take that individual and set him up with what he needs to succeed? He or she needs to succeed. Um, I, I just don't even know where you would begin. Do you begin with housing? Do you take him to a hospital right away? Like, it's crazy. Like, how do you even solve something that's that complicated as an issue of an issue? I, I feel like you start with medicine and I don't know, but that's the way I start because you have to start with the neurology of the brain. And if you get proper treatment, which is difficult to diagnose because the person's describing his own experience to someone else who doesn't have the same consciousness is and in, in trying to treat with drugs they've never experienced. It's difficult to do. But that, to me, is where you start. Uh, but there's a lot of liability there. Someone jumps off a, you know, you know, someone jumps off a bridge or whatever and says, not to be morbid, that's on you as the doctor. So I understand the system, but it, maybe they need to loosen the regulations. I don't know. By this time in the session, many listeners were beginning to join the space and hear what we were talking about. Several of them began requesting microphones and raising their hands for their turn to speak and contribute to the conversation. It's an interesting point. We've got some hands going up. So let's check in with Victoria and with Luna. Um, Just so everyone who's new coming in here realizes this, this is a recorded space. This will be used as part of the audio for the Bipolar Recorder podcast. So so just be aware of that. Um, But I did definitely want to check in with Victoria and with Luna. I'm really glad that you guys brought this up. Um, it's actually like a, a space that I love to be a part of, especially when it comes to homelessness. And so Prager, you just released a video too on different states that are starting to do different programs because in California, they started the Housing First initiative where, okay, we just need to get these people houses. But when they would put them in the houses, none of the behavior changed. So they wouldn't sleep in the bed 
kids and they wouldn't make the food. And it was basically bringing the street into the house. And so like, for me, what I did was I took a look at Phoenix and like, who is the homeless? So the homeless are people that have aged out of the foster care system. It's a lot of veterans. It's a lot of people running from domestic abuse. So for me, my thought is, okay, what's the root what is the root and we can start classifying these. So what these different universities are doing is that they're building communities with housing that they have to pay rent for like anywhere from like a hundred bucks or whatever, but they make their food. Uh, you know, there's like classes for computers and stuff. And then it's like, so anyone who is in that like schizophrenic and using, you know, methamphetamines for 40 years, they can act actually go to a, an actual clinic but there are people that are homeless that are not beyond the point of of retrieval like there is so much hope there's just no resources and so for me it's like and you know bipolar I've changed too I was like big no meds no meds but I like to make it like very clear now that there are like chemical problems that have to be treated but there's a root. There's a root story to everyone. And I think that that would be the first classification was when did your trauma start? What are your traumatic cycles? And then give them care based on that. And so it's actually, I think there's three centers right now in the United States that are working like that. So there is some hope. Good to know. Good to know for sure. Thank you for that input. And let's go to Luna and then go to uh, Lil Wolf. Uh, hi, uh, yeah. Um, thanks for letting me speak. I just wanted to quickly make a point going back to, I think the big elephant in the room is that there's not enough research being done on this. There's not enough research on the um, community social aspect of mental health we do not have the treatment for most of these conditions. That's the fact. Mm-hmm. You're saying, like, I, that's what I agree with. Um, because, like, you think about it, lithium didn't really even get, and I'm just going to speak from, like, a bipolar perspective because that's what I have, right? So it's like lithium didn't really even start becoming widespread until like the 1980s uh they were doing lobotomies up until like the late 1960s how far do you think medicine has really come since then you think these fucking like these uh, my psychiatrist is probably 75 or 80 years old like he was around when lobotomies were still a thing like it's crazy and by the way i love my current psychiatrist i'm not trying to i'm just kind of throwing them under the bus a little bit but like seriously man think about it it's scary what the fuck are they putting in your brain why does stuff like lithium tend to mellow people out and prevent them from having manic spikes and depressive lows you know and and the science doesn't know exactly how it works they they don't like there's so much mystery around it and that's what blows my mind about why like okay so big pharma wants to develop a drug like Raylar which is like $1500 a month but we're not going to fucking look into like psilocybin or THC as being valid treatments for things like depression or hypomania 
I was talking about this last night and I, I'll, I'm so sorry, little wolf. I don't, I'll, I'll get to you in a second, but like, I was talking about this last night. I took fucking psilocybin three weeks ago during a hypomanic episode. It was not a responsible decision. No doctor would ever say to do that. But I was like, I'm just going to fucking see how this goes. And guess what? It went really well. I had some serious therapeutic breakthroughs during that trip. And I was so comfortable the whole time. I'm not advising anyone else. Try this. I'm just saying this is what worked for me personally. And it went well. My I told my therapist about that and she was like, are you out of your fucking mind? And I was like, yeah, I guess I was. But point is, I'm still alive and it worked out well. I know no research would currently would say that that was a prudent decision, but fucking whatever. I'm going to live my life and try to live it as best as I can. OK, thank you for listening to that rant. Let's go to uh, Lil Wolf and then we'll get back to Luna. Hi, um, I actually came on here for a reason i had something i needed to say okay to get out and um but i was i'm y'all actually are touching on something that had been you know my biggest fear for most of my life and i don't i i I don't remember a lot of my life due to the trauma and um being homeless has been the biggest fear in my life and I I didn't know about mental illness or anything like that or anxiety until I finally you know went to and end up in the hospital in the psych unit because I was cutting and attempting suicide and you know I didn't realize I was doing it at that time I would black out and I would come to and then I would have a cut, you know, down my my hand, my wrist. And my fear became even more due to that because I thought I was going to be one of those, you know, I'm not trying to be mean, but be crazy and, you know, out on on the street. And that's still, you know, right now my fear because what I, I, I tell people, you know, I don't feel like I have a home right now. I feel like, you know, I, I have a place to live, like a homeless shelter, but I'm a, I have my place to myself. But it's not a home due to the fact that I don't have a safety zone. That's one thing that all of us, we need. We need that safety zone to ha- be able to, you know, not be triggered, you know, repeatedly by family members to to you know people who just walk in your house and you know start you know nagging or yelling at you because we all have you know triggers like words or sounds and it's just um that's that's my fear and i i agree to with a lot of what luna said and what you said my um today i told my sister i was scared because, yeah, um, lithium and all that, I can't take it because of my stomach. I have um, my ulcer to deal with. And I, when I took it, it, it came up. I, I would spend like two and a half weeks puking. And I'm not talking about just a little bit here, a little bit there. I'm talking about looking like um, Old Faithful 
you know, that one. Um, um, yeah, that like debilitating, like really bad nausea. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I understand, you know, that. And I told my sister, I don't want to go to the hospital for so many reasons. Here, Lil Wolf brings up a really interesting point that sparks a long discourse about inpatient hospitalization in different areas throughout the United States. If you're a neurotypical person who's never experienced inpatient hospitalization before, or if you're someone who lives with mental health issues who has never been inpatient, some of these stories may sound kind of shocking to you, and that's why we're sharing them. But to be clear, not all hospitals in the United States are bad, not all doctors are bad. There's a lot of really good, even life-saving work that can be done in psychiatric treatment centers. There's just a very long way to go in many respects, and that's the point that we're really getting at here. I hope you listen to these negative experiences and consider the implications on what it means to live as a person with serious mental illness. Your rights can be taken away from you. Your independence can be taken away from you. Your dignity can be taken away from you. And it's very, very scary. All right, enough of me talking. Let's get back to it. Number one, they're in where I live, they're disrespectful. They look at you like you are automatically a um, drug user. And I, I'm not. I, I smoke pot. I've tried to smoke pot um, a couple weeks ago. It still makes me paranoid. And I, but I've never done hard drugs, you know. So when I go there and they, they treat me like I'm seeking drugs and it's not right. And I know a lot of other people you know, who've gone through the same thing. They're very rude and disrespectful, which comes to what, you know, I wanted to say. I don't understand how people, you know, think they can get away with talking to you like you don't mean anything. And I'm living, you know, in a life where they're disrespectful. So they talk to you like however they want. I don't understand how people can be so disrespectful because to mine to what I've learned is you it is true about how you treat people is how you get you know treat others like you want to be treated and that is true in my life and I'm I'm sorry I'm probably going manic right now but um I, I'm so it, it's been in my head and it's in my heart and it's hurting so bad and I, like I said, I'm so scared I was going to have to go to the hospital. You have the um, virus still going around. And I just, I'm so scared right now. And I needed to get that out. And thank you so much, Bipolar, for, you know, opening this up. I saw it. I came on here. I needed to get it out. And I'm so sorry that I ran it, rented. Um, so thank you. No, you're totally fine. Thank you yeah. for sharing all of that. And um, I think that was a great share. I think you hit on a lot of extremely salient points. 
one of them being the huge power dynamic, the power imbalance when you are hospitalized and being looked at, looked down on as being subhuman or incapable of thinking for yourself, like you're being treated without compassion as if you are a child. I've experienced that in psychiatric units as well. I know a lot of other people had reactions as you were speaking. I don't know if you noticed, but a lot of people were showing a little hand clap emojis and everything. Um, yeah, it's unfortunately, tragically and deplorably a very common experience. And it really, really upsets me. And that's why I think we need to have more vocal dialogues, more direct dialogues about, hey, this is not fucking okay. This is America. This I know not everyone in the room is American, but I am. And that's my community. And that's where I'm looking at right now to make impacts on. And anyhow, um, let's go back to Lil Wolf, just in case you had something else you wanted to add. And then we'll go back to Luna and Victoria. Okay. Um, I, the, the thing was about us was so I, I ran out of medication and I finally got her to realize I need my medication because the last time I almost went into a, a complete seizure and I don't know if anybody else is taking that um, clonazepam. I've been taking it for so long that if I go off it, I I could have a seizure and I I think I finally got across to her today and she got my medication so thank God for that. So thank you. I'm really glad to hear that you were able to get your medication and, and that you're safe right now. Um, I'm sorry that you've got this other stuff going on that's weighing on you. Um, I know that's not easy, but thank you for joining us tonight and thank you for sharing. Um, I want to move to Victoria and Luna. Um, let's go ahead and check in with them. And Lil Wolf, you're always welcome to throw another hand up and chime back in if you'd like to. Okay. All right. Victoria, what is up? So I, I just want to be courteous. I think Luna's hand was actually up first. Oh, really? Okay. Sorry. Uh, Luna, what's up with you? <laughs> oh, thanks, Victoria. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, uh, so I just wanted to touch back um, after Bipolar responded. Um, I definitely agree with you with, I haven't tried psychedelics. I'm thinking of trying it, but I think a lot of things to do with mental health, it takes the kind of privilege to have your own space to kind of make deep realizations within yourself uh, that certain things you are strong enough to deal with. And uh, these, like, after I've made these certain realizations, I haven't had a hospitalization for quite a while. So I think it's kind of worked. And whenever I feel uh, these thoughts coming up, I don't actually reach to the sort of CBT methods or my medication. I actually reach to this deep realization within myself. So I think what you were saying, bipolar, with psychedelics if they could help someone realize that um you know that's quite important and I also wanted to agree again with what bipolar said and the wolf about you know just being disrespected in hospital um it's um 
is a power imbalance. And I think um, I can see the point that, um, you know, you're a danger to yourself and others, so you need to be locked up. Who the fuck knows that, though? Sorry, to interject, how the fuck can you determine what someone is going to do in the future? That's fucking minority report (laughs) shit, okay? You can't fucking determine that. You can, there's nothing that links mental illness to violence. That is a misconception. It's a myth. It's a, it's a stereotype. Okay. There's been a shitload of research done about it. I just wanted to throw that out there and I'm so sorry. Please continue. Um, no, you're, you're absolutely right. But you know, that's the excuse they use that, you know, that's why they have to restrain you. That's why. And, you know, being a, um, kind of, more person that causes trouble when I'm crazy. Um, I've kind of learned to accept that, but I just don't see how they can justify it within themselves, how me being locked up and, like, like shit is going to help me. Like, how do they think they're helping me? Like, they must know that they're, they're getting a pleasure out of, like, disrespecting me, and that's why they're doing it. And they're not doing it because they think they're helping me, you know? <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, that's definitely intense. I don't know. Isn't it interesting that in healthcare, you you would think that the people getting into that field are getting into it because they're compassionate and they want to help and they want to heal. And there's certainly plenty of amazing doctors, nurses, technicians, uh, even just general hospital staff making the food and shit. Like there's a bunch of wonderful people making that happen, but there's also a lot of dipshits who are the antithesis of that. And for some reason, I don't know why, but they keep turning up in psychiatric wards. I don't know. Maybe that's something we should also look into. Okay. Victoria, go ahead. Hey, um, so I wanted to kind of, um, go back to the idea of like prescribers and doctors just being outdated. And, you know, I think that goes down to really like the culture of the industry. We need more people that are mentally ill to rise to the occasion to become psychologists, to become psychiatrists, to get in the door and be like, hey, I know that you have an eight-year degree in an Apple Watch, but let me tell you what it's really like and what's going to help. And it's, I mean, it's so, so dire, but... They have this idea that you can't be sick and treat people, which is the most ridiculous thing because you can have a diagnosis and be healed from that. And that is so much more valuable than anything you're going to learn in a textbook. And you can always tell when people are being insincere. I can't tell you how many times I've gone into a counselor and they told me that I didn't really have any problems or, you know, just talked down at me or looked at me like I was ridiculous but I think that we need to keep this in mind and I just want to say you know what I'm about to say might be triggering but we have a lot of people too that are drawn to positions like politics being school teachers being doctors that are sociopaths that are pedophiles they are people that are looking for power positions to be in touch with as many people 
people as they can. It's considered elitism in careers. And it doesn't mean that you have a ton of money. It just means that you're in a position of authority. So we have these psychotic people that are actually like getting off psychologically. They get their adrenaline rush from having this control like over massive amount of people. And so um, bipolar, I didn't know that you had your degree in psychology. Like, please, like, let me be like your cheerleader, you know, and say, hey, like, this is awesome. Like, run, run with everything. Like, do everything that you can. Like, take the torch. Thank you so much. I, I think what you said is like so fucking on point. And I loved the eight year degree and an Apple Watch comment that made me laugh so hard. I wrote that down, actually, because I'm going to have to use that again later. Um, very, very, very funny. Um, yeah, it's like a total shit show. And you're completely right. People get attracted to that power and authority and that. It's critical life-altering decisions over others, and those are the last people who you would ever want anywhere near you in a hospital, right? But so many of us, unfortunately, have been, and it it it's not okay. Um, okay, uh, Lil Wolf, what's up with you? I totally I agree with what you said. Um, it actually makes so much more sense when you talk about it, you know, than the sociopaths, because it does make so much sense because, I mean, they're putting themselves where they can make themselves feel better by making us feel worse. And, you know, here, when you go to a um, psychiatrist, you're lucky if you get five minutes with them. And yeah. It's, it's, um, my first one, you know, I was lucky to even get, you know, three because she was constantly just, I mean, she was so disrespectful. I, I said something about autism. She's like, oh, you don't have autism. You, you like hanging out with people. I was like, excuse me, you know, I don't, I'm a shut in. Yeah. And what, like, are autistic people not allowed to have friends and socialize? Like, that's just so disrespectful. So, so what, what kind of, like, uh, psychiatrist was it? How did you get introduced? Um, through MHMR, I got, he was working with MA at the time, and it was a constant. I thought maybe if I saw her at her own office when I got my insurance, that it would be, um, more time with her and it, it just she just got more disrespectful and i mean yeah he he I'm, would be the sociopath you know that <laughs> talking about i mean her her attitude it's like if you don't like your job go go find another job it, it's not right for you to make us feel bad for you know because there is a chance that I have autism there's actually a big chance that I'm going into adult autism so you know for her to talk say that after knowing being she should have known that I was a shut-in that I don't actually have friends I've been a shut-in for over probably two decades now 
So that was disrespectful to her. Yeah. You know, for her to say that. And um, I had, I was the last time I was hospitalized, even they were trying to push people out. And I saw a couple people who were not ready. She even said in, you know, a back corner that she was going to commit suicide. And they still pushed her out. And I pray to God that she did not, you know, end up hurting herself because, you know, they they were, you know. I I, want to say something. And just as a heads up, this is going to be triggering and involving uh, just some real talk about uh, violence and sexual violence. Um, So... Here's the thing. These things do not end with just being disrespectful. They also end in outcomes with patients being abused. Yeah. Like oh, physically fuck. and sexually yeah. abused. Like it, it's not just a matter of like, oh, this person made me feel bad and I felt disrespected, even though you should never feel that way. I'm not saying it's okay that you were disrespected, but it's it is really that serious of an issue. Yeah, yes, I agree. But the flip side is I've never had a negative experience. In my experience, it's always been positive. Like on this call, I'm like the pro-medicine guy. Like maybe I'm the outcast. You're not. No, no, I'm not telling anyone to not take their medicine. I take medication. I just think there's all sorts of issues with the with the healthcare system in this country and with the medical model that is applied to psychological disorders. Well, the model comes back to the money and the monies are going to the corporations. And that's the problem. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's also about masking and not treatment. And so we are subduing people. We are not treating the root trauma because that's not cost effective. And People can just go back to work and carry on their lives uh, when it's thrown on. And and to be honest, like, I think that that's part of the rise of autism. I think it was really interesting that that was brought up because my daughter is autistic. And I think that there is an entire generation of people that are probably autistic that aren't showing it as severe as our children because this is the next generation. And there was just a complete group of people that were missing in diagnosis that didn't have it as severe and then we start masking i don't know if people are familiar with the mask but then you know you put on that mask and what behaviors are you projecting the ones of your abusers so that you know and this is where a lot of these you know disorders are coming from and stuff and so i think that there that is actually and i wanted to get tested for autism as well with my daughter being autistic i'm like it had to come from somewhere so um you know and me having like identity issues i'm like okay well people that are autistic usually you know they lack a a a sense of self sometimes i don't want to put a blanket statement but it's like okay so do i have borderline personality disorder or am i autistic and the masks that i wear are of those of the traumatic events that i had of the abusers i was raised by so it's it's interesting that i was brought up i appreciate you for that little wolf and sorry to skip the lines (laughs) that's okay um i actually wanted to uh check in with husky before we go back to lil wolf and luna just because husky hasn't had an opportunity to speak yet i remember him 
husky is a person living with mental health issues who occasionally joins the hashtag mental health chill zone spaces. He had joined the room, and we tried to check in with him, but unfortunately he was away from his mic at the time. Don't worry, we'll certainly be hearing from him later. Lil Wolf actually adds that Husky had reached out to her earlier that day because he knew that she may have been having some struggles. It's that kind of community support that is so awesome and that makes me continue doing these types of projects. I just absolutely love it and I wanted to point that out. Husky asked if he actually checked in on me today. I appreciate that. That's cool. Cool. I love hearing that. That's awesome. That's good job, guys. Okay, Luna, do do you have anything? I just, um, well, um, I had a bit of self-reflection, what um, Victoria was saying about kind of the power imbalance, how these, these social power positions attract kind of people who want to abuse them and want to have that social power of you. Like it really... Uh, it, like I was a massive anarchist when, and like I still sort of um, but um, like you think the whole power structure should should be just the whole thing should just be abolished but yeah that's what I wanted to say <laughs> actually uh, I have a question for Frankly Bipolar because um, I, I understand that you said that you've had very positive outcomes which I think is fantastic I did want to ask have you ever been impatient before Oh, throw me out like that. So let me just speak from my own experience, uh, not knowing really too much about you or anything. I'll just speak from what happened to me. Um, So this is why I have strong feelings about uh, hospitalization in the U.S. uh, And I, I guess maybe to be more specific in the state of Virginia, But uh, yeah, basically what had happened is I had made multiple attempts at voluntarily checking myself into a psychiatric hospital because I had had this acute manic episode going on for about four months. I saw shadow people breaking into my house and heard voices talking to me, and it was incredibly scary. Um, So this had been going on, and meanwhile, I've got all the other manic components beyond psychosis too you know i'm irritable i'm amped up i can't sleep i'm constantly sleep deprived so so i make these two separately probably about one attempt one week another attempt in the next week they turned me away both times uh and what ultimately happened is i ended up getting detained by the fucking police and then forced into a psychiatric hospital a few days after that and when i was there I was not treated as a patient. I was not treated as, oh, this is someone who is in very urgent need of medical attention. I was treated as if I was a fucking criminal, okay? And I'm not. I'm just living my life. I'm a guy who has, like, a serious mental illness, and I'm living with it, and I'm trying to do the right thing, and I was turned away until it escalated to the point where police were involved, where judges were involved, where 
doctors who had no vested interest in my well-being were involved, where nurses were talking down to me as if I was intellectually disabled, which I found very disrespectful and very frustrating. And I was in there for just five days. So I can't even fucking imagine what it's like for some of the other people in this room who have been in negative hospitalization experiences and have been there for like three or four plus weeks. Um, I'm not trying to say that all hospitals are bad. I'm not trying to say that all doctors are bad. Like I've said earlier, just phenomenal people who Hunter, work Hunter, in healthcare. Hunter, do you think um, it it's you? just that right now with psychiatric treatment, the way it's currently doled out in this country, it's not working. Hunter, do you think it was you during that time period or the doctors? I'm just being open and honest. Like I'm just It was curious. the doctors. It was the doctors because you know what? I've worked with many doctors over the years and I know how to spot the good ones and the bad ones. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. Um tons of hands went up. Um let's go Megan, Lance, and then back to Lil Wolf. Yeah, so you had mentioned like feeling like you were treated like a criminal. I kind of felt the same way. Um, not so much in the hospital, but like outside of the hospital, um, because I had, they were concerned that I was going to hurt my kids. Um, so I had a CPS case open on me for like more than six months, I think <laughs> six months or more. Um, and like, I understand why it was in place, but it didn't help me. It didn't help us. It didn't help the family, you know? It just, it was just a really horrible time, just a really horrible time. Um, but it did keep me on my medication. Cause I was like, I don't want to be on these medications because it makes me feel sick. Um, like I don't like the side effects or anything, but I stayed on it for my kids because I wanted the CPS case off me. Because they threatened to take your family. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Fuck that. Exactly. How is that okay? Yeah. I was just going to say, I am so genuinely fucking pissed off right now. I am so glad that we are able to have these conversations like this. So we know that no, we're not the only person in the world who has been through this sort of thing. There's all sorts of crazy shit. There's all sorts of flaws in the system, in our culture, in our society that are leading to these problems. Um, okay, Lance, I'm going to take a breath here and just try to take things down a notch, and we'll see what Lance has to say. Uh, I don't like to be treated like a criminal, and in 2008, uh, I was on a severe manic, unmedicated manic episode with psychosis. I was running for senator of Alaska. I quit my job to do that. And my family was not sure what the hell was going on. And one morning, a knock on the door at eight o'clock in the morning, before I went to work, there were four burly, tall, big police officers. And they came in or they didn't come in, but they, I thought, I literally thought in my psychosis that they were there to escort me to the courthouse as a senator, like bodyguards. But what they were there for was to take me to Alaska Psychiatric Institute for observation. Uh, my family had gotten a order for a 72-hour mental evaluation 
And they went through my house looking for firearms. Uh, I thought that was very intrusive. They went in the basement looking for firearms because my wife had told them that I had an arsenal and was a terrorist and all this other shit. We were going through a divorce, so she was shitting on me and had filed that order. And so they took me in handcuffs in a police car to the psychiatric institute where I had to strip down, get searched, strip searched for drugs in cavities. And then I got to go for two weeks into this psychiatric facility where there were class, uh, very extreme long-term patients, people there for years. And there I was for a 72-hour evaluation among that community. But I was treated like a criminal because I was brought in by the police. I didn't get, they gave me lithium, but I didn't get any tools. I didn't get any counseling. I did not get any resources other than just a prescription for lithium. And they reported me to the uh, AOPA and the FAA, and I lost my pilot's license because of it. So I say, fuck the system. I agree wholeheartedly with you. And on the aside, to change the mood, back to music, I picked up a new vinyl album. It is the Jimi Hendrix Experience and complete collection of his songs. Hell yeah, I like that positive note to end on. I've heard that story before, Lance, but I don't think you'd really told me the the full version. That's really, really intense, man. Um, I'm, I'm sorry that that happened. And I, I have also been in the hospital in handcuffs, and it sucks. So uh, thank you for sharing that. Let's go to Lil Wolf, Victoria, and then Luna. And then maybe if Husky is back, we can check in with them. Okay. Um, for the um, that, um, just speaking, um, that is such a scary thing. And it's so scary that, you know, words like, you know, terrorists and stuff like that can be so easily thrown at us to what, you know, like the system here where I live, you know, they, they're, they're easily to listen to something like that. And it's so not fair because I'm not a violent person. I can't even, you know, as much as I want to throw something, I can't. I just, it, it, it bottles up so tightly inside till, like, you know, one of the things I was say talk about is finding myself at my manager's office for my apartments covered, you know, in blood and ending up somewhere else. And then they end up handcuffing me and I'm, I'm sitting there and it's not that I'm violent towards somebody else, it's me. I'm the one with, you know, my wrist cut and they're putting handcuffs on me. And that that's not right for anybody to have done to them. And I've had it's, it just- It's for the officer's safety. It's for the officer's safety because you're too dangerous. Yeah. You're too dangerous. You can't be trusted. It's for the officer's safety. So just go to the hospital now. 
Yeah. But um, on the on the situation with the mask and being autistic, you know, I do. I I I think I have. I, there's a big chance I am. But I I grew up, you know, not. You grow up doing something, you automatically. I'm 45 years old, so you know I've done it so long because I grew up in a drug house, and you know when you do that, you are you go outside, you you put this mask on you to show everybody you're okay, um, everything's okay, you know nothing's happening at home, you know even though I was being belittled bullied and at times having my head slammed repeatedly against the door. So, you know, that was my situation where I had to, you know, act like everything was okay. So now, you know, even when I'm I'm furious at my sister, I I put a smile once I walk out to this my door, I put a smile on my face and then ha ha, you know, he you know, to the point I get hyperactive and, you know, they get pissed off because I'm, I'm so hyper that it's driving them crazy. And it's, it, I understand it that I, I get upset with myself, but, you know, with the other thing about autism is you do have this, I think we are drawn to each other, you know, like my cousin's daughter, the one person she would automatically hug and what she would do is she would place her head on my stomach and that's her version of a hug because she would, she's um, mild to high autism and that was how she hugged and she always came to me. And a lot of people, you know, who have autism, they, it's something, it, it just, we come to each other. It's like, it, like a magnet where we're automatically, um, I can't think of the word, um, drawn to each other. It, it's, it's weird, but it does, I, I think it, it does happen. And, and hey, are you here now? Um, Husky's here. Yay. Husky, what's up? We've been waiting to hear from you. And Lil Wolf, thank you, of course, for sharing that with us, um, for sure. Husky, what's going on? I'm doing great so far. You know, you know, doing good. Positive vibes and everything, you know. Been, been eating healthy. You know, not thinking about, um, like I said, I'm not thinking about suicide, suicide no more because I'm about to be two, two years clean until next year because you know my past is past i cannot let that stop me i gotta proceed my my future on what i'm gonna do it's not it's not like it's the end of the world because you know i regret being suicidal because you know i realized i had a life i had a life to, to live for because you got other things to do unfinished business and all that you know what i'm saying like we all know that we all suffer mental health and we and we definitely know that Every single people deserves better. Like on this group, like you have bipolar, you deserve better as well. Everyone around here deserves better. And we already know that it's not about hate. It's about love and respect. And, you know, we all deserve love and respect. 
yes, people judge me because, you know, people judge me because they want me to stay away from them. I was like, but, but at least I love who I am. Because, you know, they think I'm weird because of my mental health and anxiety. But look, it's not, it's okay to be weird. But look, it's, it's, I'm not weird. I just have anxiety because, you know, I get anxious fast. But I'm human. We all, we are always human of what we want to do. Just don't judge us about our appearance. We just want to become who we are. I love that, dude. That was awesome. Yeah. Okay, see, I just, I, I told y'all, you know, how he checked up on me. That that was his love, you know, what he was talking about, you know, having love for each other. And he showed it today. And I was in severe pain and, and so much fear. And him reaching out to me, it, it did, I did feel the love. And I thank you so much, Husky, for that because it did help. A little. I'm not gonna say a lot. You know, it 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 helps me. So you know, you're you got my heart, man, and I love you, man, too. So love you too, Wolf. And um, I want to explain this to you fast. Let me tell you something. We all know what we did. We we all did mistakes and everything. You know, what we did when all we did a bunch of mistakes, and people should not yell at us for that. They, be, they should say it's okay. We all made mistakes. You can try again because, you know, when you try again and again, you are learning. You're not making a mistake. You are learning. But look, you know, there's no reason for you to kill yourself because of a mistake. You can, it's about, it's about lesson learned. Okay. It's, be, it's better than, it's better than, um. well, you know, mistakes always happen. And, you know, we have no, no right to like in our lives. We have rights to make mistakes. And you know we can learn learn our mistakes, and we can forget about the past. Yeah, I think that definitely um, life is a series of learning experiences until we die, man. And um, I love what you had to say about not being judged by your appearance or by what you're wearing or whatever. You know, everyone needs to keep an open mind about everything. I always try to be open-minded with whoever I come in contact with. Um, but it's not always easy, right? It's like one of those things that well, you have I'm, to work on. I meant like, you know, you know, when I went to McDonald's last year, someone someone told me to get get away from them because they, because of my um, mental health. But you know what happened? She's like, get away from me. I don't want your disease around me. I said... Hey, I'm not diseased. I I have mental health. You don't respect that. You need to get away from me too. Yeah. But you know this, I don't really care because that lady, I don't really care about her no more. All I care about is myself. All I care about is getting love and support from this from space. And you know this, you know bipolar. You know I know you have bipolar, but you know this, you your your life changed. Your life changed in a in a good way. I mean, back in the day, you have, like, bad, bad problems. You know this? You know, we all, we all we know that you deserve better, okay? I think that my journey with bipolar has, you know, been really complicated, and it continues to be complicated, but I think it's genuinely made me a much stronger person, a better person through doing therapy and working on myself more, through taking more personal responsibility. Uh, we can't always control if other people are going to be idiots, but we can try to change that. Uh, through conversations, 
through open dialogue. Love it. Okay, um, so sorry, uh, Luna or Victoria, I can't remember uh, who was going first, but um, let me just say uh, we're coming up on 8 p.m. Eastern time. Um, so let's just kind of go around. Uh, I wanted to check in with Luna and Victoria and Wolf, and then Debbie has a mic request, so let me approve her. Victoria. Okay. Um, so, like, so many profound things have been said um, for me to now be speaking. It's like a collection of things. Um, but, Megan, first I just wanted to say that uh, my heart is out to you. CPS does not protect children. The amount of neglect from that system, it is so disturbing. There have been multiple studies the negligence, the fear-mongering. I mean, it, it's reported that the victims, um, So, and I don't want to get too much into my own experience, but it was because I had mental health issues, was like, well, what did you do? And it was like, whoa, wait, wait, wait. Like, I came to you for help. I called you for help. And now because I have mental health issues, like, it's... The most disturbing experience to run to someone and be like, please help, something is happening with my child, and to have them be like, oh, well, you're mentally ill, so it's probably you. And so it was um, just really disheartening. Um, and so I feel you on that. It, it's a, a nightmare. They're too, well, and, and like, what are they going to do? They're going to take your kids and put them in the foster system. The foster system is another nightmare. That's the worst. There is that I can't think of a deeper hell for a child than going into the foster system. I mean, talk about a crime against humanity that, and, and instead of help the parents, instead of giving people proper care, they would rather push them into a system where people just collect money. And it's, I mean, it's, it's terrible. So not to get too heated about that. And I know you're wrapping up bipolar, but little wolf, I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciate everything you say. When you mention the part about your head being slammed up against the wall, how and, and so CPS doesn't help kids and the police don't believe children. So how many of us are growing up and have TBI? How many of us have traumatic brain injuries from abuse that people wouldn't step in and, and help? And it's like another part of like abuse that goes completely undiagnosed because the system won't listen to children. They say that children are lying. Oh, you can't trust a child. I would trust a child over an adult any day when it came to an abuse allegation or so something to do with drugs or mental health or anything like that. And so that just like really touched my heart because it was the same thing as me being like a little kid. Like I remember my dad grabbing me by my shirt and like slamming me up against the wall. And it's like, you know, families, they do this projection, you know, to like protect the family. So people don't know what's going on, but it's like, there's like, not only is there like psychological abuse, but there literally can be like traumatic brain injury that's occurring and causing issues. And, um, you know, you're just so fragile when you're little, Ooh, I'm getting emotional. Anyways, thank you so much bipolar. This was like an amazing room. I loved being here today. Yeah. Thanks for being here. All right. Let's check in with Luna and then, uh, I guess Paul, and then we can close out with Lil Wolf. 
Oh, and I'm so sorry. Debbie had a hand up too. So let's go uh, Luna, Paul, Lil Wolf, Debbie, and then we'll close it out. Thanks, Vipola. Um, I'm really um, finding the space very helpful. And as I've mentioned before, uh, just to touch on what Barbecue Dad said, uh, you know, like a lot of the these situations, because it's such a severely stigmatized uh, health problem that basically, I mean, in the recovery model, you're told you can do more, you can do more, you can overcome it. But really, it's a disability that you need constant kind of support with. And because it's stigmatized, people use it then to uh, socially isolate you. And uh, like with the example of Barbecue's wife, they use it to get back at you. And then uh, people use it to abuse you in hospital. People use it to abuse their positions of power. And uh, I think like the more we kind of work out research is done about good kind of campaigns to effective ways to fight stigma, because, you know, there's many ways to kind of try to tackle stigma which don't work so about kind of effective ways of showing people we are part of society and we are um, still for human beings and the right support we can do everything you know I have very similar symptoms to you bipolar and you know like I found a lot of deep realizations within myself have helped fight off many psychotic kind of manic episodes and um yeah, I think if we manage to kind of get this social aspect kind of a little bit under control and get the right support, we can see a brighter future for people suffering with mental health conditions. So that's my point. Thank you for the space. 100%. Thank you for joining. All right, Paul, what's on your mind? Yeah, I've got two things I want to throw in. Uh, interest, great space tonight, as always. Um, one is, I think we're talking about tonight, for me, uh, one thing that I thought that's come to mind is I, I personally think there's a great big gap uh, with with kind of like hospitalization of people that like need because they're really sick, like delusional and maybe could be potentially harmful to themselves is at, at the very top. But the, the, there's a massive gap between that and say the GP level, where we go, or even the level you were talking about, Hannah, when you were submitting yourself to like say, look, I'm sick, I know I'm sick, I need a move, I need, I need a, a system. And they're kind of going like, you're not sick enough for us to throw you into the top tier. And you're like, it's all there's nothing there. And I think that's what we've talked about tonight is there's no and it's been consistent, and I think everybody's been incredibly eloquent and and super smart tonight not, not that you never are i'm just saying that it's really been clear to me that like the system that we need it just ain't there the machinery isn't there um i'm going to be thinking about that and asking myself what it would take the second thing i want to throw in for the end of the night uh is uh and i think it was husky that made me think about this and it was um the the stigma of people that are sick or not coping or are carrying a burden or are wounded by in the way that we all are to a greater or lesser degree whatever it is right you know this feeling that we're not the real people 
and the real people are out there. Who was it Husky that talked about McDonald's and the woman saying, get away from me? That the, the thought that those are real people and we're not real people, when the truth is right, how privileged are they? Okay? Like how, what liberty they enjoy to be free of the kind of challenge that most of the people here in one way or another have dealt with in their lives and dealt with courageously and to the best of their ability, right, dealt with without imposing on others. I have a very, very, I have run out of patience with the whole vibe of people judging people who have come from difficulty. And I just wanted to put that out there because I heard it tonight. I heard it a lot. And it's an excuse for me to kind of put my, you know, put my uh, war paint on about that. So thank you, everyone. I think you've what an incredible bunch of people and what an incredible space. And I hope we uh, can meet up again as soon as possible and do this some more. Absolutely. And I, I totally agree that it's a form of privilege. All right. Lil Wolf, what's up with you? Okay, I was going to um, make two comments. Um, One, um, Victoria was, you know, um, talking about what I was talking about. Um, That's the day I I don't have a lot of memories of my life, but I do have that memory of having my head slammed repeatedly into a door and she grabbed me by my bangs and just repeatedly, you know, did this and she punched me in the stomach. And what happened is I end up, you know, running away. And I'm gonna say trigger warning right now. Um I'm gonna say the R word because I've never actually said the R word for this. I've talked to people about it. Um but I ran away that night and I ended up being raped. So, I mean, with situations like this, this is what happens. You know, you you end up not being believed by the cops. You end up stuck in what we preferred, my family, my siblings and me preferred as hell. And, you know, we we weren't able to. And my sister, her, her, her way of dealing with, with it was to keep us together, me and her and my brother. But me, I, 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 I felt like I was living in hell. I, I might have brain damage. I don't know. I have an IQ of 63, 64. That's what the school told me. So, I mean, but going on to Husky, so I can make this fast, um, when it comes to, you know, say, hey, you know what, I I, I need to look after me and I think about, you know, how I'm going to survive this. And, you know, forever, I, the one thing I do remember about my past is hearing, oh, you're just feeling sorry for yourself. Oh, you just pity party, you know, things like that. And. Lately, in the past week or two, I've realized, you know what, I've always said I, 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 I don't want to commit suicide because my niece, it's not fair for her. She lost her dad. You know, I want to live for her. But you know what, I, I've been thinking about it. I, I, 
I'm going to be selfish and say, you know what, I'm going to do this for me because if, if, you know, I fell for her, it, it's bad. But if you, you start trying to live for yourself and start, you know, focusing on the things that you need to do, you're going to be there for them longer because you've helped yourself. And it, if anybody's like me who has that, constant voice in your head that you're you're like hey um this is my opinion if if you have that voice you know saying hey you're just feeling sorry for yourself you know knock it back just don't listen to it you know i've listened to it for so long and now more and if i'm being selfish then i'm being selfish but i'm gonna think about myself and try to live for myself and that's gonna make me where I'm going to survive for my niece. And um, thank you so much for this, this space, Bipolar. It was really helpful for me. And um, Victoria, um, if you ever need someone to talk to about autism and um, abuse, I'm here. Um, and we got Debbie up and love you guys. Thank you so much for listening, and y'all have many blessings. So powerful. Thank you so fucking much for sharing that. That that was getting me emotional just listening to that. Thank you so much. Seriously, thank you. Um, Okay, Debbie, what's up? Close it out. We've had such a good, good conversation tonight. Thank you for everyone who's shown up. All right, Debbie, you're next. Thank you there, bipolar. Yes, I I got severe bipolar. Uh, I've been in and out of hospitals for a long time. I'm also a transgender. Uh, I'm not worried about what people think about my my bipolar, but I get a lot of uh, hateful stuff on on these spaces. You know, I, you know, I don't care. Is they don't like me. I just want some respect, you know. I'm a human being, you know. I I don't treat people like crap, you know. I just want to just, I don't care if they don't want to follow me. I don't care if they don't like me. Just show some respect, you know. I respect people, you know. I have a lot of friends on, a few friends on here that are transgenders. They're gays, um, lesbians, whatever. You know, and uh, we need some more spaces on mental illness and also uh, transgenders and stuff. We need to get this out because I think people are, I don't know, they think you're sick. And I'm not a sick person. You know, I talked to my doctor yesterday. I was just released from the hospital overnight on a suicidal thought. I was also... A few years, a few months back, on uh, I was in a hospital in a state hospital for 30 days. Uh, I was pronounced dead, but they brought me back to life. And uh, once they got me uh, uh, back to, back to uh, who I exposed to me, back to uh, I forgot that word, uh, stabilized. They transferred me in handcuffs on a gurney with a state police car behind the ambulance, and they took me up to Kalamazoo State Hospital. 
and I, that, it, uh, I, I hope I never go back to that hospital again. They put me in a pair cell, and they took well, the, the state police took the handcuffs off me. Uh, he took off, and um, he said, uh, and they, I, I saw the nurse and stuff. She do blood. Uh, and the next day, the doctor came in, uh, talked to me and stuff, you know. But I was up there for 30 days. That was one of the worst hospitals I've ever been into. The food was shitty. The nurses were crappy. The doctors were terrible. Uh, I didn't think I was going to make 30 days up there, but it kept me up there. But finally, I got discharged, and my caseworker from Adrian picked me up. She brought me back home, and uh, I called my psychiatrist up, the office up, and I told him what happened. And uh, they wanted me to come in a couple of days. She set up an appointment with the doctor. I went in there, and I discussed what happened. And, uh, you know, they put me in a special set. I had, I had on my, my, my clothes on and stuff. They didn't want to put me in a anywhere in the mail uh, section or anything. They put me in a separate one. You know, I got a few friends on here that support me, and I love them, you know. I love every one of them. Anybody, you know, I don't hate them. I don't hate Actually, the ones that hate me, I don't hate them, you know. I'm not going to stoop to their level, you know what I mean? It's yeah. not me. I want to change my way, you know. I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't show any kind of negativity towards anybody, you know, I just want, I just want to be me, you know, just yeah. me. Absolutely. Stay away from that negativity. Live and let live. Keep it all positive, guys. This has been so awesome. Thank you for coming out tonight. Thank you for everyone who shared, everyone who shared about their lives. That was a wild one, right? I feel like we covered so much ground in that episode, and I would like to thank every single person who joined in on that conversation with us and contributed or even just listened and learned about people's different stories and perspectives and pieces of wisdom. My name is Hunter Keegan. I'm the host of Bipolar Recorder and the hashtag mental health chill zone twitter spaces you are always welcome to join our twitter spaces and follow us on twitter at bipolar recorder i am also on twitter at hh keegan be sure to tell your friends about this show we are trying to end stigma get more awareness brought to individuals living with mental illness, and implement new solutions to help guide mental health treatment moving forward. Again, thank you for listening, and I hope you have a safe day, evening, or night, wherever you are.
Polar Recorder is a listener-supported show. To help keep the show running, consider checking out our Patreon page or visiting BipolarRecorder.com. Unless otherwise stated, the hosts and guests on Bipolar Recorder are not licensed mental health professionals. Bipolar Recorder is not a substitute for therapy or professional medical intervention. If you are having a mental health crisis, please contact your local emergency services.